Does the Bible teach a concept of hell, that it's a place of eternal conscious torment, where people will endure unimaginable suffering for an endless amount of time? That's what we're gonna talk about in this video. When we read that, we can say, okay, well, the worm can live forever. The worm may not die, but that says nothing about the corpse that it's currently eating, right? Um, or you can say, well, the fire's not quenched, and it's, okay, well, the fire's not quenched. We already, we've already granted that there's an eternal fire, but quenched means a fire that can't be put out. It doesn't mean that a fire that never stops. It, it just means a fire that cannot be put out. Like, it will not cease to completely devour the fuel. But that doesn't mean that the fuel, the corpses of these dead people, are going to be around forever, much less saying that they're conscious. Over the past few years, I've allowed myself to ask some questions about some of the doctrinal beliefs and theological assumptions that I've sort of just grown up believing and assuming. And one of those things is this topic of hell and, and what does the Bible actually have to say about it? So as I've kind of dove into this a little bit more deeply over the past few years, allowed myself to ask these questions, listen to alternative perspectives, what's kind of happened for me is I haven't come to necessarily land on a different position or a different stance or doctrine of hell. But I have become very convinced that this idea, this common idea of hell, that it's a place of eternal conscious torment where people will suffer for eternity in fire, I've become convinced that that's not actually what I think the Bible teaches at all. I don't think Jesus believed that. I don't think the apostles believe that. I don't think you can find a trace of that idea, not only in the Old Testament, but, but anywhere um, in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I just want to say that I understand that this is sort of a sensitive topic for many people. This is kind of a hot button issue, but I just ask you to at least just listen to what we have to say. I hope that as you listen to this conversation, you're able to hear kind of what led us to where we are. You're able to hear some of the questions that we began to ask, and then maybe that helps you and encourage you to allow yourself to ask some of those same questions. And so rather than me just sharing my own story and sharing my own journey, my own thoughts, I thought it'd be fun to bring somebody else on and to have more of a dialogue conversation format. And so that's what we're gonna do. I brought on Keegan, who is a friend that I actually met through the YouTube channel. He holds to now a view of hell that's called the Annihilation View of Hell or Conditional Immortality. But I did think it'd be fun to have Keegan share what led him to where he's at. And again, just to let you hear some of the questions I think that surround this issue and see if the Bible is really as clear about this as what I think many of us were, were kind of taught, what many of us have always assumed. And so I hope you enjoy this video. I hope you find it helpful. And if nothing else, I just hope it helps you to ask some questions. Do you feel like this is important. I think I know the answer to that, but do you think this is an important conversation to have the conversation about hell and kind of opening it up to looking into alternative ways of understanding what the nature of hell is and, and why, why do you think that is important to have these kind of conversations? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, obviously I think there can be points with some of these, uh, kind of tertiary issues where we put too much emphasis on them. Um, but also at the same time, I think that all theology, anytime we study God's nature, it's important. Um, one of the, one of the passages that 
<clears throat> I was kind of uh, thinking about when I was thinking about this question. It was just, um, I think it's Job 42.7. Um, uh, God says that the, his anger burned against Job's friends because they hadn't represented him rightly or they hadn't spoken of him what was true. And so I think anytime, you know, regardless of where you're coming from, if you're going to put this aside, if, if it's true that ECT is true, and we're out there telling people that it's false, that's, that's bad. And if the opposite is true, that would be bad as well. So I think that we just want to represent God rightly. So if it's not true, um, that he, you know, will torment people forever and ever consciously, we shouldn't be saying that about him. And likewise, if, if, you know, if my view is wrong, if annihilationism, if conditionalism uh, is not true, I also want to be corrected and make sure that I'm, I'm representing him rightly. So anytime we're evangelizing or, or even people asking these questions, um, you know, when I started to really get into this, it was funny how many people would actually bring this up when I would share the gospel with them. You know, they would, they would say, well, what, like, well, what do you view about hell or what do, what do Christians view about hell? That always kind of bugged me. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think it is important just to be able to dialogue about it because when I first got into this, if you would have asked me what my belief in hell was, I would have given just a very basic answer of what we see in movies or, you know, something like that, maybe quoted a few passages, but I think not having a deep understanding of it was led me to kind of study it more. So a lot of people here who probably are, are somewhat new to even listening to a conversation like this probably have no idea. There'll probably be some who have no idea what, what, we're even talking about when we talk about the annihilation view of hell or that there are different options when it comes to what to think of hell. Maybe talk about like, I guess what, what started to shift for you? Like what did you start to see in the Bible that you two starting to change your view and then maybe unpack a little bit what that view actually is that you started to get out of uh, the scriptures? Yeah, I would say when I when I really started to get into it, um, I think the the best way that I went about it is actually, like I said, just listening to scholars from both sides talking about particular passages in Scripture. And so um, there's obviously a number of them. There's a couple in the Old Testament, um, and you know, a number that come from Jesus and Paul, and and then there's a few, you know, big ones in Revelation that I think most people would uh, kind of hang their hat on uh, in terms of kind of being a knockdown argument for eternal conscious torment, um, Revelation 14 and Revelation 20. Um, and so for me, it was for me, it was just going through each text, just kind of one by one, grabbing the context, walking through it, you know, actually looking into the Greek the words, how they were used, how they were being used in that time. You know, is this, um, you know, is this a, a didactic teaching by Jesus or is this, you know, something in, in John's vision that we need to actually interpret, you know, like what, what kind of passage are we dealing with? And so I think walking through those, um, I kind of, you know, I heard this from a, a professor one time. He talked about, um, you know, how sometimes when we're, when we're discussing topics like this, it's not so much that there's like a knockdown argument, but, as you begin walking through different evidences, you take, you know, it's like putting a weight on one side of a, of a, you know, of a scale, you know, it's like every time I would walk through a text, I would take my, I would take my weight and I would put it on the side of the, the proverbial scale and say like, man, I have all these texts stacked up over here and I really have none for the addition for the eternal conscious doormat. And, you know, it's like, but it's still, even, even in doing that, once I was like, okay, I think all the texts are on this side now. Like I, I don't think you could change my mind on any of these. 
it still took a while because it's uncomfortable to come out and say, not only to change your views, something you've held your whole life, but also one that, while I agree, I think the traditional view is the view that I hold. The most common view right now is eternal conscious torment. Um, but I just don't think it, it you know, it, it's not one of the debates in Christianity that gets a lot of airtime. It's usually Calvinism uh-huh. and Arminianism or the spiritual yeah. gifts or eschatology or, I mean, you could put probably 50 different topics ahead of this one. So it doesn't get a lot of, uh, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And when it does get attention, it's such a weighty topic that you're usually accused of being emotional or, you know, part of the progressive Christianity. And so it's, I just don't think it gets talked about that much, but yeah, uh, yeah for me, it was really just walking through the text and being like, okay, like if I had to hang my hat on, on one of these views, which one do I believe? Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of how it shook out at the end. So it, it took a while, though, even when I believed that all of the weight was on one side, all the evidence was on one side. Yeah. So, And I think increasingly there's more and more room for it, but there hasn't been a whole lot of room to have these conversations. And, and that's not even wording it strongly enough. There just has, has not been room. I mean, the book has been closed in terms of what Christians are allowed to think about this. And... Um, and I, it, it even, you know, I think in, in many cases has been made sort of a, a salvation issue, I think, in, in many cases where, um, which, which to me I find problematic, where it's, it's people hang their hats on it in the sense that if you don't get the correct understanding about this, then basically your your eternal destiny is in jeopardy, you know, which which I just, I don't, I don't get that. I don't know how, how we got there. I don't know how you can even get that from, you know, what Jesus taught or what the Bible says as a whole, that, that our relationship with God is dependent on whether or not we have our ducks in a row in terms of what, the reality of the afterlife is. And we, we have that doctrinally nailed down. And unless we get that nailed down and have it correct, then our souls are in, uh, you know, jeopardy. And so I I think that's, that's part of what makes it, I think hard to even, like you said, when you do kind of feel like you have come to some sort of um, position that has changed, there's the fear of, of, well, what are people going to think about me? Am I going to be kicked out of the church? Am I, you know, am I going to lose friends and family and all that, you know, cause there's so much hung on this that I just, I don't think is really right. I, I don't think, I think there's something very off that we have put so much stake into whether or not a person's view of hell is, is um, correct. And so, right. Th- th- I mean, so th- do you feel like you kind of did you experience that? Like, what was your experience with? Well, you know what? Maybe before we do this, because I think I think it'd be good to have sort of lay out what your view is real quick, because people are probably wondering that um, those who who aren't familiar with this conversation. So maybe kind of lay out a little bit, you know, just quickly what what view did you come to hold? Because obviously, the view that most people are familiar with is this view that people who die without leaving in Jesus, they will uh, spend an eternity in a lake of fire where they will experience unending torment, torture forever and ever and ever. So right. you've, you got to the point where you 
rejected that view as not being biblical. So what view did you come to hold to? Right. But, and, and before I get too far into that, I would say that, you know, our differences, you know, if you want to call me an annihilationist, I'll just, I'll just do that for now. But, um, the differences within these different camps, I don't think are actually as big as people make them out to be. So I would say that, um, you know, we both believe that there's a final punishment. We both believe that there is um, no hope for those who who die in unbelief. Um, it's just what we're disagreeing on is the nature of the final punishment. So um, even within the eternal conscious torment camp, you know, some people will say, well, no, it's it's literal fire, it's literal flames, it's it's physical, you know, infliction of pain. And then you have other people who say, well, well, no, it's it's probably just like like being separated from God. Um, you know, he, he, yeah, like he's the source of all, of all goodness and he's the sustainer of life. And so really hell isn't like flames and all that and physical stuff. It's more of like mental torment because God is the source of all goodness and joy and love and peace and all of those things. So it's more on the, yeah, it's more on the metaphorical things. It's like, okay, so there's even disagreements, you know, I'm just saying, I don't think people are conscious. So getting into my view a little bit, um, the idea is basically that it's kind of, it's kind of threefold, I would say, or there's three three prongs to it. Um, the first one is that human beings are not inherently immortal. So even when you look at something like, uh, you know, it says that God formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed life into him. Okay, so we have that word life. We have life existing in man, but then there's also this tree of life that's in the garden that we were separated from. So like, what is that life? If, if we were born immortal, you know, going to live for forever, then, then what is this tree of life that we also had access to? And so, um, man, there's a lot I want to go into, but I won't, I won't right now, yeah. but I would say that the, the basic idea of it, uh, as far as the conditional immortality that we've referenced a few times is that there is a condition in order to actually be made immortal. And I would say that that's faith in Jesus Christ, you know, being born again. Um, and so that's one view of it and that there is no, there is no um, life for those who who do not repent and, and trust in Christ. And so that's where we get to the second prong of it. The annihilation prong of this, of this view is actually that um, after the resurrection, right at the, after the final judgment, that there will be people who are obviously going to be in the new Jerusalem. They're going to uh, be part of the new heavens and the new earth. But then there's, this other group, the unbelievers, that will actually be annihilated. They'll be destroyed. They will exist no more. Um, and so the third prong I would say that I, that I like to talk about is actually taking death seriously when the Bible talks about death and not not spiritualizing it and actually looking at, at Christ's, uh, his atoning work. So what punishment that did Christ actually take on for us? Uh, and I believe it was death. And so... Um, there's a lot more to kind of flesh out each one of those points, obviously, but, but that would be my view is that human beings are not, uh, inherently immortal, that the, um, that the risen unbelievers will be annihilated, um, one day and that, um, Christ's, uh, Christ's sacrifice actually took our punishment, which was death. And so, so kind of in a nutshell, then, as opposed to, an idea that when people die, hell is a place where people will go on for eternity in torment. Annihilation or conditional immortality is a view that there is a punishment 
in the afterlife, but it isn't this endless forever and ever sort of thing. Instead, it's something that, that ends in the term termination or the extinction of those that are, are being punished. So it's death. It's a uh, people cease to exist. Um, they're, 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 they're not going on an endless conscious torment, but they're just, put out of existence, um, I guess. And, and that's not, that still isn't, you know, that's not a pleasant, um, by any means, um, thought, but, uh, would, would you say that's a, a simple way of, of putting your, your view? Yep. Yep. I would say that, um, that that's a, a pretty succinct way of putting it. I would say that the Bible, I mean, this is just my personal view. I obviously don't speak for all uh, annihilationists, but I think the Bible is pretty clear that there's going to be different levels and degrees of punishment. So I think even for those who are unbelievers, that there will be some sort of whatever language you want to use, some sort of torment, affliction of pain, that the it's not like God is just going, I don't believe the Bible teaches that God is just going to kind of like, poof people out of existence. You know, uh, I actually believe that there is going to be real suffering. I mean, the Bible talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that is not just, you know, the great white throne judgment. And then they're out of existence. I actually believe, um, and we don't know the details because the Bible doesn't speak about it, but it, it's possible that there is, there is a period of time where people actually undergo punishment, that there has to be some sort of explanation for, you know, this idea of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, you know, um, there's different passages that talk about like, that this punishment is going to be more severe. And, and so, um, how so that all levels, gets fleshed up. You're saying there, there's still levels in your view of punishment. It's not that everybody is just, you know, I mean, the example that's probably thrown around most is like the Hitlers of the world that, okay. So the, the Hitlers and the, the grannies who, you know, maybe rejected Christ, like they're both just going to experience the same, you know, poof, they're, uh, you know, and you're you're kind of saying no. That's not that's not what your view is. You still believe that within within the annihilation view, it allows for different levels of uh, punishment or the severity of that punishment. Yes, yeah, that is that is correct. I, I do think that the Bible actually gives um, not not a specific idea of what's going to happen, but there are certainly, you know, when we, you know, later on when we get into some of these texts, um, that we can go into, I think it's pretty clear that there are going to be different degrees of punishment, what those look like. Hey, I'm probably never going to plant my flag in, in one of them because the Bible doesn't actually tell us. And so we want to be really clear on what the Bible's clear on. And we want to make sure that we don't become too dogmatic on things that the Bible really doesn't give specifics on. So, um, you know, if you, when we walk through passages that talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's different things we can pull from it, but we can't firmly say like, well, you know, the, like you said, the little old lady down the street who didn't believe in Jesus, she's going to get a small amount of punishment, but then Hitler is going to get, you know, a million years of torment. Like I have no idea. The Bible doesn't speak to it. So I won't, I won't try to go into it too much, but yeah, I, I don't actually think that it's just some idea of like, yep, poof, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you lived as a heathen your entire life. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, God exists. And you know, it's just, he just poops you out of existence. I don't think that's scriptural at all. So. So how like changing this view, have you experienced like pushback? What's that, what's that been like with your 
church community with your friends, family? I mean, has, has there been any uh, drama, I guess, related to that? Honestly, no, not really. Um, I would say that I, I have a couple, I have a couple friends that, that would sort of poke fun, but then when we get kind of into the meat of it, I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a theology nerd. So I, I love to get into the weeds with some of this stuff, but um, yeah, I've had a few friends who have asked questions and been like, well, you know, that doesn't make sense. Like, what about this? And then, you know, you make a few arguments and then you can kind of see that they're like, okay, I'm not prepared to discuss this. And so the, the conversation kind of dies uh, uh, pretty quickly. Um, I've actually had a lot of people have just said, oh, that's really interesting. And I've had even more people that have said, I actually believe that too, but I've never heard anyone else bring it up before. And so people that I actually did think would hold to this view, it's been kind of shocking. Some of the people that I've heard who've said like, yeah, I actually believe that too. Oh, I've just yeah. never talked about it. Um, so that's actually been really shocking to me. I think more people actually take the time to study this than I thought. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I won't say that the, I won't say that the response has been bad. Um, sometimes when I get into, you know, I've been in different discussions, people say, well, you know, we, we don't really know, like the Bible's not clear and, uh, we just really don't know what the final punishment will be. Um, and I actually think that's a, that's a lot more, um, that's a lot bolder statement to say, because when you say like, well, we, we just really don't know what you're actually saying is that I've combed through all the data and done all the work. And I'm saying that the Bible doesn't actually teach one view or the other. So it's, I think it's just as, uh, as large of a claim as saying, well, I believe in eternal conscious torment, or I believe in annihilation. And most people kind of try to be like a peacekeeper and say like, well, we don't, we don't really know the Bible's not clear. And I'm like, it's actually a really bold statement because you're saying that you've, you've looked at all the relevant texts, you've, you've combed through all the scholarship, you've read all the passages and uh, you don't believe it teaches it. Like it's actually a positive statement to say that we don't know. And so I get that a lot, but I don't think people actually mean that. I think they just mean like, I don't really want to talk about it. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I think like in terms of the, the view you're describing that you hold to, I, like I said, it's still, um, it still is. Oh, not, not pleasant, I guess, as I said, but it's, it's, I would say it's, even though I'm still, I'm not fully sold on it. Um, I still have questions about it. Um, and there's still a lot of, you know, I, I feel like the more I look into it and the more I kind of think about even, even the, the parables of, you know, like the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I kind of think more and look more at the cons in which things like that were, were discussed. It just leads me to have more questions than answers. I feel like there was definitely a, a time when, when I was first really um, starting to listen to other other views, including the annihilation view and listening to people talk about it, I was definitely pretty sold on it for a while. Um, and, and I still, I definitely think uh, it's at this point, it's most, um, I would say, compelling view of them all in terms of what I think yeah. seems like the Bible is, is, communicating the, the the texts that come to mind ones that I think about it a lot I can I could find a lot of texts that both old and New Testament that fit very well with with this view 
Um, I, I have a very hard time finding any that, that I could confidently say would point to eternal conscious torment. But um, I do think even though this view is still harsh, I think, you know, what I found even just being opened up to the possibility that the eternal conscious torment view um, most likely is not the most biblical view. It, it really was very comforting in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, mm. And I know, like we talked about emotional, I, I think there's a certain sense in which, you know, um, emotional reasons shouldn't, you know, you, you shouldn't de determine what you think uh, the Bible based on what you feel. Um, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to be able to come away with an accurate interpretation of something if you're relying obviously on your emotional uh, sways about it. But um you know, I kind of went through the phase of continuing to hold to this eternal conscious torment view in spite of my emotional hangups with it and moral hangups with it. And so um, yeah. to come to the point where I realized that, you know, even though I'm not fully convinced at this point, a view like this to me is uh, hugely more, um, I would say more moral. And, and I, I don't know if you would line up with that necessarily based on, on what you've said. But I think this, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say in, in, in a more simple way is that this view seems to fit a lot more easily with the idea of God being loving and, and just and, and all that merciful kind. I think it's, it's almost like the eternal conscious torment view. I found myself constantly having to like, like square circle when it came to trying to fit this idea of, mm -hmm. God being who I see him revealed um, as being in Jesus's self-sacrificial love and his meekness, his kindness, trying to fit that with this idea that in the end, for those who don't accept him, he's going to subject them to this unimaginable, horrific uh, uh, punishment. That is just, you know, I, I, I don't think even people who hold to that view, um, very few people really, I think, grasp just how horrific that view is. Um, and, and, uh, and so I think this view, hopefully for those who really wrestle with that, can maybe some comfort in knowing, hey, there is a different view that is not, is not as horrible, isn't as, right. um, you know, just terrible and and horrifying to to think about i think this one is um a little bit, bit more easy to swallow though it still has obviously difficulties of its own um and just because it's easier to swallow again doesn't doesn't make it more more or less true um but the fact that right. that's that is backed i believe by um i would say a larger weight of biblical evidence than the eternal conscious torment view is. And so I think, uh, at least for me, there is definitely some comfort in that. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't want to, I certainly don't want to, um, disregard all emotions that we have because certainly God has given us emotions. I think they're a good thing. Um, you know, right. they're, we have them for a reason. Um, and also if, <laughs> you know, if we have these ideas of justice, mercy, and love, but we're continuously finding things in the Bible that just kind of like tug at us like, Oh, that's not, that doesn't feel like we actually have an internal witness with the Holy spirit. I mean, that's, it's not like we can discount yeah. all, I don't ever want to, to establish truth by my emotions, but certainly they can inform us. And 
I think sometimes, you know, if there is kind of that, like that just doesn't seem consistent with God's nature. I think that's really what it is. It's not that mm -hmm. it's not that I don't believe it's moral because God is the standard of morality. So if he if he chose that ECT would be the final punishment, then then that's the standard. That's moral and that's just. I just would again chalk that up to my own misunderstanding of what justice is. Uh, but certainly, I mean, when you look at God's character and his nature, I think that's where a lot of this comes down to. Obviously, even when you say it's more loving, it's like, well, we actually have to we have to have a biblical idea of what what love is. Right. You know, because there's certainly a lot of people out there today using the word love um, in pretty unbiblical ways. And so but even, mm -hmm. you know, I was sometimes when I'll, I'll think about this, we all think about, OK, even in the Old Testament, when you see you know, God commanding Israel to wipe out a nation or a people. That's what he does is he says to wipe them out, to not leave any man, woman, child, cattle, nothing alive, like completely destroy them and wipe them out. He doesn't say to capture them and torment them, right? Like God actually has a very high view of death. You know, the wages of sin is death. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, on the day that you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Like, I think Christianity as a whole has really devalued um, the weight that's put into death. And we try to spiritualize and say, well, like, oh, it's just separation or it's it's less of a life than what Christians have. Or it's like, I actually think it's just death. I think it's the cessation of life that people aren't allowed to live in God's creation. Like, I think that's... Mm -hmm. That's a massively important topic that, that we need yeah. to talk about. And so I think I, I, I want to be really careful and not put anyone down that holds that view. But I think that most of the explaining away in this debate comes from the eternal conscious torment, because so often life doesn't mean life. Death doesn't mean death. Destruction doesn't mean destruction. Um, and we'll get into it because I'm sure people have tons of questions, um, you know, when we when we actually start looking at text on the road. But um one of the things that was most convincing for me is like, oh, I can actually just let the Bible speak for itself. And when it talks about, when it talks about destruction, when it talks about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah serving it as an example, when it talks about um, death, like you can actually just let the Bible speak for itself and what it's saying here. And also, I mean, earlier you brought up, you brought up the salvation issue and, and making this, I mean, obviously um, it's become pretty common for anytime someone disagrees with the view you hold, you just call them a heretic. And that seems mm -hmm. to be a pretty easy way to sort of, uh, you know, end the debate. But um, again, we aren't we aren't trying to say that one day everyone will be saved or that there's even at least I'm not. I'm not saying that one day everyone will be saved. I'm not saying that there will remain a possibility of salvation after death. I just disagree on the nature of the final punishment that God has chosen uh, for unbelievers. And so um you know, really, when we talk about it, we're we're getting into the weeds of, of what we think God has done. Not that I think he's not going to do something. I, I don't think that he is um, just going to, you know, make everyone believer some some weird view like that. We're just yeah. we're disagreeing on what the punishment actually is. And so, yeah. And really, the disagreement comes down to almost entirely for for your view against eternal conscious torment it comes down to duration, right? It's just, it's all about the differences, the duration. Um, is it something that is unending, uh, goes on forever and ever and ever, or does it have an end? Um, right. And I, I would say even, even with that, um, you know, obviously 
the Bible talks about eternal punishment. You know, some will go away into eternal life and some to into eternal punishment. And so, you know, again, I, I don't want to get too far into these texts, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, even with eternal, I think the punishment is eternal, but I think it's the cessation of life that is the punishment, not actually having a life. So I've heard this analogy used before, like when someone is given the death penalty and it takes a minute to give them the injection, we don't say that they they had a one minute punishment for their crimes because that's how long it took to end their life. We say that's, that's a never ending punishment. Forever. Like they, yeah. that's a forever punishment. That's an eternal punishment. They are never going to live again. And so when the Bible talks about eternal punishment, it doesn't say eternal punishing. It says eternal punishment. This is the punishment death. Uh, and so, yeah, obviously so, we can, we can get in more into that later, but also yeah. um, again, you can just let the Bible speak for itself with these things. Yeah. Well, we might, we might as well get into some of these these texts at this point. And you're since we're on that one, uh, we might as well kind of talk a little bit about about that. So that's that is that Matthew twenty five that you're referring to there. I think that's the sheep and the goats, where there's the contrast between eternal life and eternal punishment. Because maybe what we could do here, and we might we might end up we'll we'll see how this this goes. We might end up. Um, coming back and, and doing another video sometime and, and diving more into this. It, it might be, be kind of fun to just kind of look at the main, um, the main proof text for eternal conscious torment, and then maybe just discuss those a little, little bit and, and you can share how you've uh, kind of come to terms with those or, or how you kind of, you know, interpret those in line with, with the view that you hold now. So, I mean, just, so if we start in Matthew uh, 25, um, I'll just start in verse 41. It says, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. Then they themselves will also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to me, to one of the least of these, you did it. um, You did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there's actually a ton that we could unpack with this text, um, starting with um, the eternal fire um, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then obviously kind of what we were talking about there at the end, where it talks about these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so, um, you know, with a, with a passage like this, it's easy to kind of latch onto the word eternal. And you sort of, if, if you already believe in eternal conscious torment, you're going to begin to read everything through that lens of, well, whenever I see the word eternal and punishment, I immediately think of, you know, uh, demons and pitchforks and kind of everything that goes, that goes along with that. But when you actually, when you actually look at the passage and start to break it down, it, especially with other relevant texts and the way that the Bible uses the word eternal, it's not so cut and dry. So even, even looking at this, when it says, um, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, that, that phrase eternal punishment, it's a noun of action. So it's not saying it's called a noun of action. 
Um, so it's not saying that they'll go away into eternal punishing. That's not that's not how it reads in the Greek. It's talking about an eternal punishment, a punishment that has eternal consequences. Just like mm -hmm. when we um, when we repent, when we believe, one day we're going to be resurrected and glorified and given new bodies. We're not going away into eternal, you know, living. Right? It's eternal life. Like we've been granted life, and so uh, kind of the parallel in this statement is talking about an eternal punishment and. The Bible actually uses this this noun of action many times in Scripture. So um, it talks about the eternal sin. Um, that is not a sin that people are going to be, you know, um, that people are going to be doing forever, forever. committing. Yeah. yeah, thank you, forever and ever. It's a sin with eternal consequences. Um, or when it talks about us being given eternal salvation, right? It talks about that in Hebrews. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to be constantly saving us. It's a salvation, a saving that has eternity tied to it. Um, we've already kind of talked about how eternal life. Um, there's more. Of, there's more of these examples as well. But there's a few instances where the Bible will talk about eternal something, and we actually need to do the hard work of being like, okay, well, what is that eternal punishment? We just gave the analogy of, um, you know, if someone given the death penalty. Like it only takes a minute to kill someone, but the, the eternality of it is the fact that it's the consequences of it consequences are going to continue go for forever. Yeah. 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 So I'll let you re respond so, yeah. to that. But yeah. Yeah. So Matthew 25, this is one of the, the big ones that's used to support the eternal conscious torment view. And, and mostly because of that, that obviously the, um, the fire part, but then where it, it kind of parallels eternal punishment with eternal life um right so the argument would be okay well you know if if the eternal life is goes on forever and ever that must mean that the punishment is something that also goes on forever and ever and that would be how they would they would counter your you know if you're sitting here claiming no hell is something that doesn't last forever it you know people are annihilated and so they they cease to exist they die and the punishment they're being punished comes to an end and so they'd say well nope see this verse here it says the the life is eternal it goes on forever and ever and the punishment is eternal so it goes on forever and ever so what you're saying is that um and i think a much better way of reading this is that this isn't saying that the the act of punishment like the the punishment continues forever and ever but the punishment is such that the consequences of that punishment the effects of it endure forever so the right. it's it's something that cannot be um you know cannot be you can't come back from it uh the consequences are eternal so yeah the same way you're saying that somebody who is given the, the death penalty the punishing the act of the punishment you know they're not they're not lethally injected for an endless amount of time it, it's that the injection happens the punishment happens and then the consequences of that go on forever and and so i that's that's i think what um sounds like you're trying to say this text here um is saying and, and i would i would think that yeah that's a, a much better way of, of reading this and and also so hebrews 9 12 is i think a really good That's place a good to one, connect yeah. to this and you might have been wanting to talk about this anyways but it um so hebrews 9 12 it's talking about jesus it says he 
did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So we have here eternal redemption, which you could parallel with eternal punishment, but nobody would say that Jesus is in, in an eternal process of redeeming. He's not going on forever and ever in the act of redeeming mankind. Correct. Instead, this eternal redemption is something that he, a one time, once for all action that Jesus uh, uh, did and the consequences of what Jesus did are eternal. That redemption is a consequence of what Jesus did that, that lasts forever and ever and cannot be changed. And so I think in a very similar way, again, the punishment here is not something that the, the act of punishment itself continues forever, but it's the consequences of that punishment um, that are, and, that, that is eternal. Yeah, that's, that's a great way. That was the last one that I was thinking of is eternal redemption. That was another one of those noun of actions. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but <clears throat> no, that's, that's great. And I think, you know, even when someone is reading this text and they're saying, well, but it says eternal punishment. Like it doesn't say anything about destruction or death or so. How can you how can you think that this kind of proves your point? All I'm really saying with this passage is that it doesn't give us enough. Like again, going back to if we're if we're always reading scripture through the lens of eternal conscious torment and we're not letting the Bible speak for itself, we're going to read into eternal punishment this conscious tormenting. Okay, but all the text says is that there will be a punishment and it's eternal, okay? And so we actually have to do the hard work of saying, what is that punishment? So if you can at least walk away from this text saying, okay, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, emotional, it could be everlasting, it could be, um, it could be death, Th that's fine. But all, all that I would really point to here is that it doesn't actually tell us what is the nature of this punishment. Um, and as I, we've already kind of showed, whether you're talking about eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal redemption, all these different ways, even eternal fire, um, you can't just read into it that it's it's eternally redeeming, it's eternally sinning, it's eternally living. Like that's just mm -hmm. that's just not what the text is saying. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what one more actually that just came to mind? Another verse that might <laughs> that I think rise in here would be Jude one seven. And That's so, what I'm open uh, to too. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, yeah. Well, go ahead, go ahead and go ahead and read that then. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like. yeah, I think this verse just really helps too. Uh, and so it says, uh, I'm going to start in verse five. It says, "Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe." Again, we see language of destruction here. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment, oh, excuse me, yeah, for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So, here in this text, we have, we have again, another one of those, those nouns about that eternal fire, which was just in the passage that we, we read in Matthew 25, where it says that uh, they'll go away into eternal fire, you know, prepared for the, you know, the devil and his angels. Uh, but again, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by this eternal fire, um, 
if we were to go to that site right now, there there isn't a fire that's which you can. that's actually burning Sodom and Gomorrah. You <laughs> which you can. Um, but the point of it is that the fire is eternal, not that the actual burning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if and if they're serving as an example, so again, this this is just another one of those times where it's like, okay, if you had to take that, if you had to take that uh, proverbial weight and put it on what side. If, if this passage is saying that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them um, who indulged in this immorality, if they're exhibited as an example, right, of those who go undergo this eternal fire, well, what example did Sodom and Gomorrah set for us? What happened to them? God completely destroyed them, wiped them out. It no longer exists. All of those people died. So they're not still currently being burned up by this eternal fire, right? Like they were, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed. And so... Again, this doesn't prove my view or anything, but it certainly doesn't allude to the idea that if Sodom and Gomorrah are set to serve as an example and they were destroyed and it was a finite time, yeah, you know, what, what are we what are we supposed to do with this text? Anyway, I'll let you yes. I'll let you no, comment on that. Ab absolutely. Yeah, because it, it's you know if the example was Sodom and Gomorrah was subjected to and state of being in bondage to you know and, and being held in this this fire that just lasts forever and ever and you can go to Sodom and Gomorrah even today and still see these people burning alive well then you'd have a pretty good case to say oh, okay well that's the example God said of what's going to happen to the wicked in the day of judgment so I guess it's going to be a fire that never ends that you just suffer endlessly in this fire because that's the example God set but, but that's not what happened, because as we said, you can go to the literal site of Sodom and Gomorrah today. And I think I think today it's like a, a maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing up two things. But regardless, you can go there today and you can see there's there's not a fire still burning. There's there's nobody there uh, from from this time that is still suffering punishment. Um, and so if that's the example, well, what happened to them is I think there's even verses where it talks about how it, they were reduced to ashes or something, something of the, uh, that sort. And so uh, the idea that the, the ultimate judgment is an annihilation or a, 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 um, a ceasing to exist and ex, uh, an extinction, um, then Sodom and Gomorrah being an example, that seems to really sense. But if, if hell is a place of, endless eternal suffering conscious suffering then i don't i have a hard time seeing how sodom and gomorrah is a clear example of, of what the ultimate judgment is going to be um and here you know it's, it says eternal fire it uses that same uh uh the same words are used it's an eternal fire it says that that was used to judge sodom and gomorrah um, and so a simple question to ask yourself is, you know, again, is there still a fire burning? And if mm -hmm. there's not still a fire burning at Sodom and Gomorrah, then in what sense is that fire eternal? Um, because it's not eternal in the literal sense that people often say hell is going to be burning. And so uh, if nothing else, again, not that this proves necessarily your view or anything else, nope. but it's, if nothing else, this should really make people pause 
and, and question. Because if we're using texts like Matthew 25, and we're coming across this place in Matthew 25 where Jesus references eternal fire, and then we draw from that and say, oh, look at that. That's proof that hell is a literal fire that's going to last forever and ever and ever, and people are going to literally burn in it for eternity. Well, then when you come across a place like Jude 1.7, and you see that the same word is the same words are used eternal fire, but yet that fire isn't still going. And that eternal fire doesn't look like something that is um, never ending where people are consciously being tormented in, in its flames that should make you pause and say, well, maybe, maybe there's something more what Jesus was saying when he, when he referenced eternal fire, maybe there's something here we're not seeing. Maybe, um, Maybe I need to step back and, and think about what, what exactly did he mean? And, and maybe I've been thinking, thinking about this wrong. Um, so if nothing else, I think when you connect passages like Jude 1-7 to Matthew 25, it should at least, in the very least, make you ask some questions about all of this. Right. Well, and, and even, even getting into the idea of like, well, what is that eternal fire? I mean, we know that scripture talks about how often in reference, you know, to God, we see fire being used. So, you know, we believe that God is an eternal fire. Hebrews talks about, you know, our Lord being a consuming fire, you know, him leading the Israelites, you know, cloud by day and fire by night, um, you know, even in speaking to Moses. I mean, so often we see this idea of fire connected to God and we know that God himself is eternal. Um, but again, when we're talking about the actual example that Sodom and Gomorrah served, for the unbelieving wicked, like they were destroyed, they were wiped out. It's not, it's not happening anymore. So, at the like, you, I think you said it great. It doesn't prove my point. Um, and I actually had, you know, in dialoguing one time with a friend, he's like, "Well, that doesn't prove your point." And I said, "No, but it at least, it at least should give you pause to say, were Sodom and Gomorrah eternally being punished? Are they still being punished? No. Okay, well then, the text doesn't really help at all in the discussion." I yeah. think it actually leans towards my view because they were destroyed yeah. and wiped out, but at least just begin to begin to kind of peel back the layers of saying, okay, well, this text doesn't teach it. And we just went over that Matthew text. Like we actually have to find out what this eternal punishment is because we know, we now know it's not eternal punishing. And it's like, as you continue to just kind of peel back these texts and realize like this, this view of being tormented forever, you just don't find it anywhere in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And so could you look at a place like Matthew 25, being aware of that there's passages like Jude 7, look at Matthew 25, come across this, this reference to an eternal fire and honestly come away with, with, okay, well, the best explanation of this is that this is referring to a literal eternal conscious torment where people will burn forever and ever. Um, and I honestly, I don't know how you could you know, when you look a little bit more into the context of what Jesus is saying and, and, and compare that to Jude 1, 7, and you consider the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that example that it set, um, in the very least, I don't, it should make you ask questions. And I think it should cause you to question, um, uh, whether or not this, you know, it's one of the main texts that, that you're using to support the idea of eternal conscious torment, um, to me, I, I guess I'm just, I'm not, it should make you question how you're getting there. How, how are you getting to eternal conscious torment from Matthew 25? 
and 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 obviously there's there's other scriptures but i think that one being one of the the main ones one of the key ones used one of the ones that people probably come across that continues to solidify oh well this eternal conscious torment must be correct because jesus just said eternal fire um, right. <laughs> th this this should this should question is it really legitimate to come to conclude eternal conscious torment based on this in light of Jude one seven. Um, right. And that, that so, goes back to what I was talking about earlier is like, we, we want to pull, we want to let the Bible speak for itself and we want to pull out of the text what we can without making any assumptions. So I think what you said there was, was really great. Like, how do you get there? Okay. Cause the fire that's called eternal isn't there anymore. And Sodom and Gomorrah aren't there anymore. And they're supposed to serve as an example. So like how, in what way do they serve an example? I think, I think sometimes it's just good to ask people that you, uh, you know, are disagreeing with this, like, okay, well, if it is an eternal fire, like, like, where is it? Like, what, what is it still currently burning? Is it possible that it's in reference to God? Cause he's an eternal fire for sure, but he's, he's not currently burning Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and in what way would you say that Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example for us that, people will be tormented forever. Like how, how would you connect those two dots? And I think it's just helpful to ask questions. It's, it's not to, it's not to prove someone wrong or to debunk an argument. It's just to say like, Hey, let's at least have a conversation because I don't know how to get that out of this passage. So. Yep. Absolutely. So um, do, we don't want to go too much longer and uh, we can always do another video because there's so, so very much that we could talk about um but let's well, i just... think i think we could probably dedicate quite a bit of time to to looking at revelation because i'm sure people are some people might yep. be jumping through their screens wanting to talk about those <laughs> but those would take a long time to get through they would but maybe let's just um i mean do you have a couple others that that come to your mind maybe i mean revelation are the ones that come to mind in terms of like what what are the main ones what are the main verses that people would use um if if we're sitting here with with a ECT proponent right now, and we said, "Hey, show us in the in the Bible where where do you get this from?" You know, right? Matthew twenty five yeah. very likely would be one of those. So, are there a couple others we could quickly just just give our thoughts um, to wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, and especially I love going to I love going to like the didactic teachings of Jesus because uh, obviously like. Paul's great. You know, Revelation is um, such a such a wonderful book that it, it's it's um, there's, there's so much in there. But I think sometimes just again going to the teachings of Jesus and just letting him kind of speak for himself is always really helpful. So I'm I'm going to go to Mark nine. Um, I think is another another big one um, because it actually you know as you said let's go to another one. It actually kind of ties into sort of. Um, um, getting your getting your brain to stop reading these texts through the lens of eternal conscious torment yeah. because it talks about something else that that really brings to mind like a an eternal punishing so um, and i think a, that's a, go ahead sorry yeah. I, that's an important thing though to to um that we probably should have emphasized more at the beginning uh and maybe we can more if we do another read at the beginning of that but just just the lenses that i think everybody including myself um, goes well. to the Bible with all of us are going to the Bible with lenses and these lenses are 
very much uh, constructed with the teachings and doctrines that you've been instilled with throughout your life. And um, it, as it has to do with this conversation, they've been constructed by uh, largely by evangelical Christianity's um, uh, dogmatic assertions about what hell is and what hell is not. And so that when you, when you go, you know, it's just like going, I mean, Matthew 25, um, I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I was absolutely 100% reading. I would have read that with those lenses where I saw, I would see eternal fire or eternal punishment. And, um, I had all of this baggage, I think, if you want to call it that, this, that came along with what I was hearing when I saw things like that, when, when I heard, uh, uh, phrases like that, um, and, and so I think it's just so important to understand that all of us are coming to the Bible with lenses and it's so hard, um, to, to take those lenses off and, and approach the text in an unbiased, uh, uh, critical thinking sort of way. Um, but it, it's, and it's going to be a process too. If people are in a process of thinking about this and, and, um, wanting to be open to different ideas and different thoughts about it. It's, it's definitely going to be a process of, of little by little taking the, those lenses off yeah. a little bit at yeah. a time so that you can, you're even capable of, of hearing anything that we're saying really. And um, seeing some of these texts in a new light um, because there is, I think for all of us, there's so much baggage uh, when it comes to this issue. Um, there's so much baggage that, that comes with, we you know when you're, you hear things like eternal punishment, even, even, you know, uh, you know, when, when the Bible will reference hell, you know, a lot of times the word that is used, uh, that is interpreted as hell is, isn't really the best way to interpret that word in the first place. And so I just think there's so much, uh, there that, that, um, again, hopefully what this, what this video does is not to convince somebody of anything necessarily other than I hope the only thing I'd hope it convinces people of is that there are questions worth asking in relation to this whole discussion. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, then, sorry to cut you off there, but no, that, that, that's so good. And I, and I think, you know, I, I want to say too, I mean, um, I definitely have my, my, uh, you know, my golden calves, my traditions, my, uh, like you said, theological baggage. I have blind spots. I have presuppositions. We all have that stuff that we bring that we bring to the text, and so that's why I think it's it's so good just to set aside that stuff as best we can, and again, just walk through the texts and let them speak for itself, and say how much you know. Getting rid of our presuppositions, how much can we actually grab from this text? You know, and so I think that bringing up that Jude passage was great because you know. Yeah, like how much can we actually grab from that text to, to know about the final punishment? It's like, well, we're told we have an example and, and here's what we know yeah. about that example. It was destroyed. Yeah. And so it's, it's sometimes it's just, just being okay to kind of leave it at that and, and, and move on and say, okay, well, what other texts can we walk through? It's not that any one of these need to be a knockdown argument or kind of get us yeah. to the end, but um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark uh, 9. I'll start in verse 43. Uh, it says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. 
And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. So, man, there's just so many with these, uh, with these texts. I'm actually going to gonna pull up one more here. But I'm, I'm um, glad you brought this one up because I, I didn't even, I didn't have this one in mind, but this is definitely, definitely a big one. Yeah. And so, so just starting here with Jesus saying, um, it is better for you to enter life maimed. Again, I can't over, I can't emphasize this enough that we have to we have to make sure that we're not always um, spiritualizing what he means when he says life. And so, yes, there is there is obviously um, when we talk about eternal life, certainly it is going to be better than what we're living in now, infinitely better. But we actually have to just say, okay, he's he's contrasting life with being thrown into hell. Um, and so we see that that kind of parallel going on here where he says it's better for you to enter life than two hands to go into hell. Um, and so it's like, well, if, if life is on one side, then what are we in hell? Well, you're you're like it's a, it's a lesser kind of life where you're, you're kind of dead, but you're still conscious. And it, yeah. it just gets really muddy if you don't just kind of let those contrasts speak. So and it says where the fire never goes out, uh, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled. Um, again, life crippled than to be thrown into hell. So again, we see more of that contrast, but then we kind of get to the, the meat of the topic and it says, um, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So again, we just like the eternal punishment, we say, look, the worms don't die, the worms that are going to eat them and the fire is not quenched. Um, kind of going back to that idea of like seeing a fire that's eternal, you know. Um, but if you're if you're online right now, you're probably seeing a footnote that references Isaiah 66. So I'm just going to go to that right now because Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament when he says, the worm that eats them does not die and the fire is not quenched. I am going to start in verse 22. So it's Isaiah 66, 22. And it says, for just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of men. So just stopping right there. God says that we're, we're going to bow down and then we're going to go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. So these are obviously people that are not obedient to the Lord. They have not been uh, born again. They are not following him. And it says, so who have transgressed against me for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. So when Jesus is quoting this, obviously God in Isaiah 66 is talking about those who have transgressed against him. So there's a, a reason that Jesus is pulling this in and talking about, you know, what awaits, you know, this eternal punishment. And what's interesting here is that it says that they're looking out over the corpses of men who have transgressed against the Lord. And so there is a fire and a worm, but like, what do worms do? Well, we, we get the idea of like maggots, you know, eating a body and like, you know, God's enemies being completely destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah were. So um, when we read that, we can say, okay, well, the worm can live forever. The worm may not die, but that says nothing about the corpse that it's currently eating, right? 
Um, or you can say, well, the fire's not quenched and it's okay. Well, the fire's not quenched. We already, we've already granted that there's an eternal fire, but quenched means a fire that can't be put out. It doesn't mean that a fire that never stops. It, it just means a fire that cannot be put out. Like it will not cease to completely devour the fuel, but that doesn't mean that the fuel, the corpses of these dead people are going to be around forever, much less saying that they're conscious. So, um, yeah, let you, let you yes. have with that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think when it is the fire that will not be quenched, that's obviously another immediate one where you'll see it, you know, and Oh, eternal conscious torment, you know, that's, that's, there it is. There it is again. But I think again, like, like you're pointing out um, the fire that will never be quenched. It's not, it's not that this fire um, goes on necessarily goes on forever and ever and ever. It's that this the fire is such that it's a decisive judgment and nothing can nothing can change that and that fire is going to do what god intended it to do and um so it's it's more as if this fire cannot be put out like you said until you know the the fuel is burned it's going to fully accomplish what that fire was uh uh lit to do you know that fire was put there for a a purpose and it's going to burn its fuel until there's no more fuel to burn and nothing will be able to quench it nothing will be able to stop it and so i think that's again it's it's um you know just looking into the context a little bit more too in in isaiah 66 i just think it it in many ways it brings more questions than it answers them. It, it, it should <laughs> cause bit. more questions than it answers them. And, and again, I just, I don't see how you could get from that, you know, so far, if all we have to go on is Matthew 25 and, and this one verses like this to conclude that, okay, yeah, it's obvious. The Bible teaches that what hell looks like is that when people die, they will go on forever and ever and ever burning in, in fire. Um, I just, I don't think that, these texts are uh, pointing that direction. And, and I don't think they're clear enough in any way to, um, to conclude that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, again, you just, you just want to ask, okay, we see that the fire doesn't go out. We see that it's not quenched. We see that the worms don't die. But again, I just, I just ask, where is it talking about the fuel? Where is it talking about the people that are thrown in here? always being affected by these, you know, by this fire, by this worms, because we just pulled up the context of what Jesus is quoting. And it says, it's looking over the corpses, the dead bodies. Again, I, I, I hope we, you know, next time talk more about this idea of death. Um, yep. and, uh, and actually how broad of a topic it is, but how just how important it is to this discussion is that the transgressors against God, their corpses are dead. The worm that's they're eating not, them, yeah. they're, they're dead. Yeah. They're, they're not this being, example you, go ahead sorry i'm just they're not they're not in torment there the, these these bodies that are burning that the worms are feasting on they're not they're not they're not aware of that and they're, they're not um they're not this isn't depicting a scene that you would expect if this was an example of eternal conscious torment but go ahead right and and, and these and these would be people that would be familiar on speaking with the disciple like this this would be scripture that they would be very familiar with. They would be understanding the, right. the the context of it. So when they're when they're hearing Jesus quoting Isaiah, they're not thinking about you know this 
eternal afterlife where people are being tormented. They're thinking like, oh yeah, God said that he's going to, you know, that he's going to have this unquenchable fire and these worms that are eating the corpses, you know, these dead bodies, like this would bring, you know, to mind ideas of like of maggots and, and things of that nature. So it's not saying that they're actually experiencing it. It's just saying like, listen, there's worms that are eating these bodies and these fire that is, is burning them up. Uh, I can't be quenched. I heard the example used uh, one time where it talks about like, you know, if your home was on fire and this, I'm not trying to make uh, this my, my exegetical argument. So, but just an analogy to help you understand what we mean by quenched is that, um, you know, if your house was on fire and uh, you got home and, and, it, and it had burned down, you know, and the, the firemen couldn't do anything about it, but but eventually your whole house burned down and, and the fire was gone. And they were like, hey, good, good, good news. We quenched the fire. You'd be like, no, you didn't. It just ran out of fuel. Like, like you could not quench that fire. Like it, it accomplished like what it was doing. And so yeah. when it says the fire is not quenched, that just means that no one can put it out. It just, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be burning or that it will continuously be burning once the, the fuel is gone. It just means like it can't be put out. It's actually going to accomplish the purpose for which it was created. So yeah. same with the worms. And, we know that worms it, don't live forever and we just know that it's going to accomplish their purpose. They're not going to die yeah. while they're actually destroying God's enemies. So, yeah, it just, it seems to me when, when I, when I read that now, it's just, it's just another way of God saying, look, when I determined to, to, enact this judgment on these rebellious people when this judgment it begins when i decide to do this nothing's going to stop it like i'm it's going right. to be accomplished it's it's going to to uh you know nothing's going to be able to stop this judgment when it comes um and i think that's to me that seems like the simple uh most straightforward and plain uh way that you could understand this and um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, that coming to the conclusion of eternal conscious torment really makes a whole lot of sense with that. Right. Cause again, in just, in just taking what's in the text, the only reference we have to the fuel is dead bodies, corpses, lifeless, lifeless beings. So, um, if, if we're going to gather, we, we grant that the fire is, uh, eternal, that the worms don't die, you know, that the fire is not quenched. But the only reference we have in this passage, if we look at the context, is to dead corpses. That's the only reference we have to the fuel. So at, at the very least, um, you know, someone who would disagree with, with my position or, or kind of where you're at would have to, you know, we'd again just have to say like, okay, well, where do you get that they're going to be conscious during this? Mm -hmm. like, like, where do, where do you gather from this passage that the people undergoing this fire, experiencing these worms, experiencing this fire are conscious because the only reference yeah. we have is dead corpses. And again, so it's just, it's just another like, Hey, this isn't a knockdown argument for my view. It's just to ask you like, where do you get this from? So, yeah. Where is eternal conscious torment coming from? That, right. That's, that's really like that. That was one of the main things, you know, that really uh, in, in many ways, that's where I'm still at is just um, not necessarily having landed anywhere, but just increasingly as I thought about this, as I listened to both sides of the argument and then as I would ponder the, all the texts that I had always meant eternal conscious torment more and more, I realized, and, and I was asking myself this question, like, where am I getting this from? Like, where does this even come from? And more and more, I looked around and realized I just like all these texts that for so long, I'm so clear, I just, I couldn't find anything anymore. And it's just like one after one, uh, 
they all just kind of dissolved. And, and I just, I, yeah, it, I was left with this, you know, I, I just, honestly, I don't know where in the Bible you could come up with, with that in a um, legitimate way. Well, even on our, even on our, just like, you know, just our plain sensitivity, like if someone said, I'm going to throw you into an eternal fire, you wouldn't think, Oh my goodness, I'm going to burn for forever. You'd be like, wow, there's an eternal fire that's going to burn me up. Like if, if it's, yeah. if it's never going to go out, like what's going to happen to me. So, if, you know, if I was, I would like to think that if I was being told I'm going to be thrown, you know, that I should, you know, I'm going to be thrown. There'll be people going into eternal life. It'd be better to enter life maimed than be thrown into the eternal fire. I won't be thinking, Oh, I'm going to be tormented forever. I'm going to be thinking there's an eternal fire that I'm going to be thrown into. That's going to burn me up. That's going to destroy me. Like, I've never seen something yeah. burn for forever. Like things are always consumed by fire. And so yeah. just even, even thinking of it logically, like why, why would I get that if I was hearing that from Jesus himself? I, I don't know. Yeah. So tell, tell me if you think this makes sense at all. Cause it, I mean, I feel like I've, I've come to where like when I see eternal fire or, or things similar to that, um, I no longer see that and think about the quantity of, of time related to that fire, but the, the quality of that fire, if that makes sense, it's kind of the way I've mm -hmm. kind of come to start like thinking about it is, is that when I see eternal fire more and more, I'm convinced that it's not talking about this quantity of time that this fire lasts for. Uh, in other words, an eternal quantity of time, but the quality of that fire, that fire is an eternal fire because it's the fire of uh of an eternal god um so I, I don't i don't know if that makes sense at all and i don't i don't have a whole lot more to say about that but that's just more like when i when i see that i just think it's it's one of those things that i began to question the assumptions i had about what was really being intended when when there's these references of eternal fire eternal you know eternal redemption eternal life um so yeah, I don't know yeah. if that makes sense at all, but it, it definitely does because I think it brings a more holistic picture to what the Bible is actually talking about. Is that this this isn't supposed to invoke this idea of just just kind of static time, you know, this fire that's just progressing from one moment to the next. I think it, you know, I believe that it's in reference to God and the fact that He is a consuming fire. You know, whenever it talks about like His judgments, um, so often it's it's talking about fire, and so I think it's actually bringing sort of a kind of what you were saying, not really a quantitative, but a qualitative sort of like uh, uh, just a very rounded idea of like, yeah, this isn't just talking about some sort of fire that is, you know, just burning for forever. It's actually talking about God and that there is nothing that's ever going to stop him, that he is eternal in both time and nature, that he never changes, that his, his judgments are true, that he is going to accomplish what he sets out to do. I think there's a lot more to it than just thinking of it. I think it's actually really narrow-minded to think like, this is just talking about time. This is just some mm -hmm. fire that lasts mm -hmm. for an eternity. It's like, no, I think it's, I think it's a lot bigger than that. When we talk about, you know, God being this fire, the one who's, who's actually doing this judgment. So. Yeah. Right. Okay. So do we have, maybe let's, let's just, do one more. Let's do one more, and then let's sure. let's call call it a night. Let's see if there's one one of the uh, one more of the big ones that that people might have in their mind. And and also, I will I'll say here, like if you're watching this or listening to this, and you have 
verses that are coming to mind and you're thinking, well, what about this one? What about this one? Um, if, if no matter what place you're coming from, you, you know, some might be coming from a place of wanting to debate in a sense what we're saying. And that's totally fine. Go ahead, share the verses in the comments. Um, or if you're just, you have a question, maybe you're struggling and like, well, I want to, I want to think more and believe what, what you're saying, but I have these hangups with these verses over here. Well, let us know what those verses are. Let us know what those, those hangups might be that you, that you have. Um, and, and you can put those in the comments of the video. And, um, yeah, I, I would be really interested to, to know, uh, yeah, what your guys' thoughts are. If you do have other verses come to mind and we might, we might get to some of those, um, in a future video as well. So, yeah. Um, you know, I thought it, I thought it might be fun actually, just because, um, because we're already kind of talking about this passage, but, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel 12 too. Off the top of my um, head. Pulled, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Oh, um, yeah, so yeah, Dan yeah. yeah, so Daniel 12, too, is another one. And I think just because we were talking about Isaiah 66, this would be another one, a, a good one to, to bring in. Um, so in Daniel 12, just starting at the beginning, it says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people... Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So again, we now have that word coming in again, everlasting that everlasting. we're talking about. Yeah. And again, I, I want to draw people's attention to that. We have again, a contrast of life with something else. So we've, we've seen life with, with punishment, we've seen life being contrasted with hell. Now we have life being contrasted with disgrace and everlasting contempt. And so, um, when we see that word, you know, everlasting contempt, we're thinking again, like, oh, okay, well, um, that's talking about people who are, I don't know, living in, you know, their. I, don't, I guess I don't even know how they would describe it anymore. Yeah. I'm so ingrained in yeah. my view. I'm trying yeah. to represent the other side as best I can. But um, what's what's funny about that word, you know, we've already talked about the idea of everlasting and then a noun. That's a noun in the Hebrew. It's not saying everlasting, being, you know, held in contempt, everlasting by people. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying everlasting contempt. So that word, though, in the Hebrew is used in Isaiah 66, where we just were where it talks about looking over, oh my goodness, I'll have to pull it back up. Do you still have Isaiah 66 open? Yep. Um, so if you want to read it, I believe it's in the last the last uh, line of that verse. Let's see here, I'm almost Oh, here, it. So let me just, I'll just read it here. So then they will go out and look at the corpses of the people who have rebelled against me for their worm will not die, their fire will not be extinguished, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Right. Yep. Thank you. So that, that word abhorrence, um, or, um, just depending on, obviously in Daniel 12 too, it's, it's, um, translated contempt. as contempt. It's the, it's the same word. So contempt, abhorrence is just bringing that idea. I mean, those, those words are pretty, pretty similar, but it's using the same word there again, looking out over the dead bodies of God's enemies. So again, this isn't saying that, that, um, 
it's not that the, the people are going to be feeling contempt. I think people think like, oh, some are going to raise to eternal life. Others will be raised and they'll be feeling contempt for the rest of their yeah. lives. It's like, no, it's, it's obviously coming from those who are still alive as having contempt for um, God's enemies. So it's like when we think about um, when we think about like, you know, Hitler, you know, like there is still a contempt from all of humanity when we think about him, you know, right. This is coming from the point of view of like, we can talk about Hitler in this contemptuous way because of what he did. And so he's not again, experiencing that contempt. Talking, right. Right. So, so yeah, some to, some are experiencing everlasting life. Others are experiencing eternal contempt, right? They are, they're not, or not experiencing it, but they're, they're, um, they're not currently undergoing it, but it's how we view them, right? And so yeah. I think it's just, it's such an interesting contrast because two of the biggest passages in the Old Testament that people will use, again, it's just bringing it back to this idea of like, not only is it contrasting life with this other thing, but again, all we have to go off is, is God's slain enemies, these, these, these people who have been destroyed by God. And so I think, uh, I think that's just another helpful one to sort of bring uh, more of a dynamic to to this Isaiah passage, which translates into Mark, and so there's just a yeah, theme absolutely. that you can you start to see here going on. Absolutely, and what what I'm noticing because you know I I haven't I can't remember the last time I looked at this passage or even thought about it in relation to this whole discussion about hell, but I can remember a time when I still held to the eternal conscious torment view that that when I would even have any, any questions about the view at all, I would think about this first, you know, this first would come to mind and I'd be mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I might have the thought of like, I can't really think of like, does the old Testament even support eternal conscious torment at all? And I would, this would be one of the, the verses that would come to mind. I'd be like, Oh yeah, uh, well, there it is. It's obviously there now having not thought about this first for, for quite some time and looking at it again, it's really hard for me to, to see that. Um, and I would say at the very least, it is very ambiguous as to, to whether this verse is saying that the people under, under that punishment, that the, um, that they are, that they are conscious of this, that, that this is in any way, um, a, a straightforward text that's saying there will be people in the afterlife who are conscious and uh, uh, consciously experiencing contempt. Um, I just mm -hmm. looking at this now, I'm like, I can't, you really can't get that from this. I mean, sure. You could, you could, you know, you could say that maybe that points that way. And I'm not saying it again, we're, I don't think either of us are saying this, this is a, a clear text to support your view or, or mine or any, anything else. It's just that this isn't, you know, if, if you're going to go to the Bible and you're going to these texts as your um, your proof text for the eternal conscious torment, traditional view of hell, the so-called traditional view of hell, then I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's worth questioning if these texts are really as clear and straightforward as you may have thought. Because if you just look at this, if you give this to somebody who has not been ingrained with an eternal conscious torment view and you tell them to read this and ask them, what, what does this say? You know, I, I, I would doubt that they would take this verse or, or even the other ones maybe that, that we have talked about and conclude that, well, what this means is that 
when people who reject God die, they will continue to live forever and ever just in a state of, of torment and punishment and pain and misery. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's what somebody who was coming, approaching this without lenses, without their preconceived ideas. Um, if I don't think they would come to that conclusion. And I think more, more than that, probably, I, I don't think that the audience of the day um, to whom this text was written, Daniel 12, the, the Jewish audience, I don't, I don't think that is at all what they, what they would have gotten from this. Um, and I, I'm no expert right. by any stretch in, in uh, you know, Jewish traditions or uh, rabbinical teachings or anything like that. But I, I just, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think eternal conscious torment is where they would have gone with this. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, well, and, and you know, another thing too, is that for, for people who are out there are wondering, I mean, the, this is the only two times in the old Testament, this word is used this word for contempt or abhorrence. So we have one time where it's being referenced to God's slain enemies. And we have another time where it's being contrasted with people waking to eternal life. So if, that's all you have to go off of. The context would lead us to believe that to, to try to apply this to someone who's who's uh, who's conscious or even alive, it's a huge mountain to climb. And, and even if we back up a little bit into this Daniel 12, 2 text, starting at the beginning of verse two, it says, many of those who sleep, so there's, it, this is talking about many, not all, but many who sleep will awake to eternal life. But the others, so who are these others? Well, they're the, they're, they're the ones that are not part of the many who awake to life, right? So they're they're not coming awake. They're not going to be conscious. They're not going to be given life again, right? They're going to go away into eternal contempt, right? The contempt that we feel for them as being God's enemies. So there are many who awake, but there are others who won't. And there will be an eternal contempt that they will be viewed with for the rest of eternity. They, they will be as the ones in Isaiah 66 who are looked upon with disgrace as being God's enemies, as being slain corpses with, with maggots eating them and, and fire consuming them. So again, I'm not trying to make a knockdown argument, but it, it at least should give you pause to say like, where am I getting this from in this text? You know, I'm, and, and like you said, in the comments, I mean, I am as open to changing my mind as as uh, as anyone else. I I would love to hear the best arguments for these passages if you think that you have them. I'd like to think I've heard all of them and, and remain unconvinced, but I'm certainly open to people pushing back and and and, and weighing in. But I, I just don't know how you how you would get that from these texts. It, it's the leaps just become wider and wider, um, and it seems like you almost have to start with the presupposition in order for the text to say this rather than saying, no, I was actually able to pull it out of this text. I just, I don't know how you do that with this one. Absolutely. And I, you know, all, all we've really done here is looked at a few, uh, a handful of, of some of the main texts that would commonly be used to support eternal conscious torment view. And, and there's, you know, the probably a couple of the main ones that we, we didn't cover and hopefully we can do in the future is, uh, the ones out of revelation, which, which in my mind are some of the weakest ones just because, because the uh, context in which they're found and the, uh, you know, when you, you think about the, the kind of literature, the revelation is being highly symbolic, hyperbolic um, that, that you would get, you know, a uh, draw out 
I, I, I just, I don't, I don't think it, it's one of the stronger uh, cases that can be made in spite of it, maybe on the surface looking like it's, it's one of the stronger, more clear um, um, passages to, t to teach the traditional view of how I, I just don't think it is, but um, hopefully we can mm -hmm. talk about those in the future. I hope what this has done again is to um, help you to, to think, I guess, and, and, and for some of you maybe feel permission. Uh, some of you might be very much um, not opposed to anything we're saying, but just maybe breathing a sigh of relief a bit that it's maybe at the thought that maybe it's okay to, to rethink this, this idea of hell. Um, I, I know that a lot of people, people that come to this channel, um, terrified of the unforgivable sin. That's, that's one of the most common mm -hmm. comments I get on this channel is people that are just terrified of that. And I'm persuaded that, um, uh, many of those people are, um, uh, in the state they're in, in this terrified state they're in because of this, this view of hell that I believe is wrong and incorrect. And I think it Ultimately, I think in many cases it damages people uh, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, in some sense, and um, and so so yeah. I, I hope for some of you that you're able to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. Um, and and I would say that the strongest uh, the strongest points that could be made um, to support Keegan's view, I think, have yet to be made. I would say I know you're itching to talk about the whole uh -huh. concept of, of the biblical ideas of life and death. And that's, that's, that's some of the stuff that to me is the most compelling and, and why I look at this view and see it as, um, biblically the most, uh, I would say the most biblically back view, at least at, at this point, as far as I can tell. And, and that's, that's because of these concepts of life and death. When you go, you go clear back to Genesis and, and this original, um, thing that God said to Adam and Eve is, is the day that you eat of it, you will die. He didn't say the day you eat of it, you will be subjected to eternal conscious torment or, or never ending, mm -hmm. uh, torment and in a literal fire. And so, yeah, I think that's something that hopefully we can, we can also dive into that a little bit more in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I hope, and, and even, hope even just to add to that too, like, oh. uh, -huh. go ahead. Yeah. I was going to just add to that too. Uh, just going into that again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but just even begin to meditate on, you know, what was it that Christ, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too much into, uh, atonement theories, but um, you know, for those of you that that would hold to kind of a, a bread and butter, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, what what was the punishment that Christ actually took for us? You know, what was the um, however you want to describe it? I have my own views on on that. I um, but what was the punishment that Christ actually took for us? Did he actually take eternal punishment, or did he actually undergo death? Did he actually? overthrow the grave right so we didn't have to suffer that punishment which i believe is is the ultimate punishment that second death so even begin to meditate on that stuff as, as you start to to wrestle with these ideas but yeah we really haven't touched even the meat of of the view um we've just answered a couple proof texts for the other or responded to a couple proof texts yeah. for the other side but uh the meat of this whole discussion is actually much more interesting and and uh it goes a lot deeper than than just uh the passages we touched on. So definitely. And that, that's something that, um, what you just brought up is one of those things that I, in my mind would just brush under the rug. And, and it seemed like a kind of um, maybe a trivial point for a while that, that, but that 
you know, when you think about this idea that we have that Jesus bore our, the consequence that mankind deserved, Jesus took that. He took the punishment that was blessed. He took that upon himself. Well, Jesus was on the cross for, for what, six hours and then died. And, 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 but the punishment for us is going on for eternity, suffering Mm -hmm. in a lake of fire and endless torment forever and ever and ever. So, um, so obviously there's, there's arguments around that, that I think um, are, are a bit silly um, and sort of just pulled out of the hat sort of, sort of things. But that's something that, you know, just didn't, didn't make sense. That's one of the, that's one of the many questions that started to rise up in my mind where I'd say, how does this make sense? How does this fit with this idea of hell that I've always believed? It just doesn't, this doesn't add up. Um, and so, so yeah, yeah I would, I mean, it's, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I was thinking about it actually earlier today about how, you know, it's so many of, um, you know, thinking about like being in a time of, of, of praise and worship, you know, and, and everyone's, you know, singing and praising God about how like, you know, you, you overcame the grave, like you conquered death, you know, all these things. But then it's like to hold to the ECT view, it's like, you want to tack on all this other stuff at the end, you know, that he, you know, it's like, well, what about all this other punishment? Like it's, it's like Jesus overcame part of the punishment, but not all of it. It's like, well, no, I think the punishment is death. I think that's actually a really big deal. So again, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's trying to focus in on like what Christ actually did and actually magnify that, like actually like this, like, let's not, let's not have a low view of what death actually is. Like the creator of the universe has given us life. That is something to be cherished where we are not just trying to escape like torment. We are trying to escape death, which is, which is not being able to enjoy this wonderful creation that God has. And so, um, yeah, it was just, just something funny that I was, I was thinking, it's not funny, but I was thinking about it earlier today of like, how much in Christendom we talk about Jesus overcoming the grave, but then on the back end, it's like secretly there's all this other stuff though, too, that, that has to happen. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't take on. And so anyway, <laughs> and do you, do you think that that, and this is, we're not going to have time to talk about this, obviously it's opening up a whole can of worms, but the, the, just the, <laughs> the lack of, of really recognizing the, the biblical significance of death. I mean, it seems like that's, maybe I wonder how much of that just shows how influenced we are by, by Greek philosophy and, and the, um, yes. you know, the ideas of, of Plato and you, I, you know, this is stuff that I, I don't know a ton about, but just, just in digging into this whole discussion and kind of understanding how, how much it seems like um, some of, some of the, you know, was it Augustine who was, who was very influenced by you know Plato's teaching about the soul and the eternality of the soul and and it just seems like there you can almost see how this this focus on these things there's just kind of this assumption about these things that that causes people to miss the biblical significance of death and the severity that the Bible places on that and um, it's almost like because of this influence from outside sources it's like now we look at the Bible and, and it, for those who are so ingrained with eternal conscious torment, it's like, well, if it's just death, like that's not, that's not enough. Like it, you got to add to that, like, like an eternity of, of, 
you know, your soul burning in, in fire or, or death isn't really, you know, that big of a deal. And so I don't, yeah, yeah I don't know. Death. It just seems like there's <laughs> maybe some, some, you know, extra biblical influences at play there. Yeah. And it, it's also going to cause you to just read the whole of scripture. It's just going to make a lot more sense. You know, when you have, it, um, uh, Paul talking about like, you know, the, um, the mortal must put, put on immortality. You're like, Oh, like, so we're mortal now and that we're going to be made immortal. Like, or, you know, God saying like, yeah, yeah, extra mortal. Like, but there's, there's like a, there's like a bad mortal though, where you're, you're still going to be, you know, immortal, but you're going to be suffering punishment. It's like, well, so God's like the yeah. sustainer of all things, but he's, and he's going to be sustaining in eternity, this pocket of people, um, you know, I, I, I would love to talk about life yeah. and death sometime, but I don't have time. Yeah, there's but. so much there. I know. Yeah, there's so much there. All right. Well, um, hopefully we can we can do that that video because I think it it would. Uh, I think it's needed. I think there's there's so much so much left to to talk about here. So, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for for doing this for taking the time um, out of your evening. Really appreciate it and. Uh, for those of you watching, yeah, definitely leave your, your comments, thoughts. I, I really would, I know that this is different than what, um, a lot of you who follow the channel are, um, used to seeing at least for the past couple of years, we've been highly focused on the oral mission society, church of God cult, which will continue that. But I, mm -hmm. I think, um, I do want to talk about some of these things because I think, um, you know, more and more that the goal I have for the channel is not just to you know, unpack unhealthy ideas of God that exist in cults. But, you know, I think there's unhealthy ideas of God that exist within, you know, my, my area of uh, the neighborhood as, as well. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, again, we're not, we're not trying to, to necessarily convince anybody of uh, anything here, except to hopefully ask, ask questions. So um, Keegan, you have any final thoughts before we, call it a wrap no this was this was great it's uh it was really fun to uh you know dialogue with you and hear some of your thoughts on this too and uh um yeah like you said i'll i'll um uh, yeah if anyone wants to leave a comment or, or has any pushback I'm, I'm open to it and i'll i'll try to engage uh you know a little bit uh in the comments if anyone has any questions or even wants resources i mean i'm not uh you yeah. know the end all be all for this this view there's a a lot of great resources I've picked up over the years. Um, a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of videos that are very digestible that you can watch. And then there's a lot of like papers and books that I have too, that are a little bit more on the technical side that I, I enjoy, but so um, would also be happy to be a resource for anyone looking for, for more information. So, but yeah, this was great. I appreciate you having me on.